I don't know if you know much about body language. A man called Peter Collette had a, a book out a few years ago now called The Book of Tells. And he says in that book that you can unconsciously give things away about yourself by uh, the things that you do with your hands, your eyes, your body. And so apparently these are some of the big tells that you can give away. Blinking rapidly. Apparently if you are blinking rapidly, then your mind is working overtime. It's a sign of someone is worried or excited or lying. Um, they're thinking, I must get out of here. Or they're thinking, he's very attractive. Or they're thinking, I'm going to get found out. So that's blinking fast. Maybe we're all thinking how much we're blinking now. Um, or scratching your nose. If you do that, you could be lying. Uh, when you're not telling the truth, you want to instinctively cover your mouth. And so uh, that's too obvious. So people disguise it by scratching their nose, apparently. Or open hands. That's another one. Showing the palms of your hands is a friendly gesture. Showing that you have peaceful intentions. It indicates acceptance, good intentions, and that you're open to new ideas. And he goes on, I could go on for a while, but the idea is this, you could give something away by how you are sitting or what you're doing with your hands, your feet, your face, your, your mouth. And um, it's interesting, isn't it? You might be thinking, well, imagine sitting next to a master of body language and thinking, oh, no, I feel exposed. You know, if I cross my legs, if I don't cross my legs, if I scratch my nose, if I don't scratch my nose, if I touch my hair, if I don't touch my hair, they're going to know what's going on inside of me. Well, you might see why I've started this uh, message by thinking of this illustration. Jesus knows what's going inside in each one of us. He doesn't need to be a master of, the, of, um, of uh, uh, body uh, language. He doesn't need to be a master of that. He knows. And as I read earlier in John chapter 2, he says that he knows himself what is in a man, what is in a person. He knows. He knows what's going on in your heart and in my heart. He knows what's going on in your life. He sees it all. And I wonder this morning, as you think about that, how that makes you feel. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. Here is somebody who knows all about me, and he knows all that I've done, all that I think, and you think, I don't know if I want anybody to know that. Even I'm not comfortable with me knowing that. You know, but here's somebody who knows me through and through. But on the switch, isn't it also really give us hope this morning? Here is somebody who knows you, and who can answer questions about you that you don't even know you need to ask. He knows the problems that you've got. He knows the struggles that you have. He knows the confusion there is in your mind, maybe. He knows that they're all tangled up thoughts and feelings and all of that. And he's the one who can give us hope and answers and light in it. Here is somebody who can help us. Here is somebody who knows us. Here is somebody who can see the problem and help us with that problem. So here, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. We're told that Nicodemus came to him by night. He's coming in the darkness. He's coming, really wanting to hide. Because he knew that there was something special about Jesus, but he didn't want anybody else to see that he knew that, or that he wanted to give that away. And here is Nicodemus coming to ask Jesus some questions. But before Nicodemus is even there, Jesus knows him. Now, before we look at this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, we need to understand the phrase that Jesus uses here a few times. In verse 3, he tells us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's really important for us to see that because it comes out of the blue, really. Nicodemus comes and asks him a question, and Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what is going on? Jesus cuts straight to the point because Jesus knows what Nicodemus is really asking. Nicodemus doesn't ask anything about God's kingdom. He says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs 
you do unless God is with him. He says, we know you're something special. And Jesus cuts right to the point and he says, unless you're born again, you can't be part of the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus knew that Nicodemus was asking what every Jew was thinking. Every Jew was wondering, when is God's kingdom coming? What is God's kingdom? Well, imagine it like this. There's lots of talk of general elections at the moment, isn't there? Lots of talks of when it's going to be, um, what's going to happen, and I'm sure it'll be all over the news for the next few months as we look at what's going to happen. But imagine that I said this morning, there is hope for this country because there's a new regime coming in. There's a new regime, a new leadership. And they're going to bring in this new kingdom. There's going to be no unemployment. There's going to be no struggles with paying our bills. There's going to be no corrupt leaders. The NHS is going to be perfect. There's going to be lower taxes. There's going to be no struggles to pay our bills, our electric prices and fuel prices. are all going to come down. There's going to be green, renewable energy. It's going to be perfect. This new kingdom, this new regime is coming in. And it's coming in with a new leader. You see, that's the idea of this kingdom. Somebody coming, a new leader who's going to sort it all out. But God promised in the Old Testament that his kingdom was coming. And it was going to be amazing. Right at the end of the Bible, it tells us what, it gives us a, a real glimpse of the kingdom of God come to earth. And what is it like? It says this, God himself will be with them as their God. He'll be the king. And he's going to wipe every tear away from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus knows what Nicodemus is thinking. We've seen you do amazing things. Are you the king? Are you the one who's going to bring the kingdom in? Are you the one who's going to sort it all out? And Jesus goes straight to the point and says, Nicodemus, as things stand, you can't be part of the kingdom of God. You can't be part of that new regime. And when you think of who Nicodemus is, it becomes really shocking. Nicodemus, we're told in this passage, was one of the leaders um, in the temple. He was very religious, very highly thought of. Um, he was a, a nice man, no doubt, uh, very sincere. He was the one who was kind of top of society, probably very well educated. You know, here is somebody you think, well, if he can't be part of God's kingdom, then who can and the point Jesus wants us to understand in this passage is this. As we are naturally born into this world, we can't be part of God's kingdom. We can't. We're all in the same boat. We're all equal before God. And born into this world, as we are, we can't be part of God's kingdom. Why not? Sorry? It's a sinful world, that's right. And we'll get to that. But why can't we be part of God's kingdom? Well, we're going to ask three questions to help us go through this passage. The first question is this, who is your king? Why can't we be part of God's kingdom? Well, let's ask the question, who is your king? To be part of God's kingdom, God needs to be king. He needs to be our boss. But naturally, that's not the way we are, not the way we want, not the way we want to be. See, we effectively say to God, I want to be king of my kingdom. I want to be queen of my kingdom. I want to be the boss. I want things to go the way I want them to go, and I don't want anybody else telling me other ways. We might not say it in those words, but that's how we live. God, I'm going to sit on the throne of my life, and what I say goes, not what you say. And if that is what we're like, if we don't want to listen to God and do what he says, and we can think, I'm going to do my own thing, what does that make us against the king? Well, it makes us 
rebels. If somebody is going against it, what is a rebel? A rebel is somebody who doesn't submit to the one who is ruling. So naturally, born into this world, we are born as rebels. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, a rebel is a good thing because you're going against the nasty, evil um, Lord Vader and that people. But in the Bible, when we talk about rebelling against the good king, it is not a good thing. We're rebelling against the one who is the Lord of all. Now, maybe this morning we think we, we, we know we're rebelling against God. Maybe we're sitting there and thinking, you know, I know he's there. I know what he wants, but I hate it. And I don't want anything to do with him. And you're pushing him away. You're rebelling in quite an obvious way. Maybe you're an atheist and you say, I don't even believe he's there. You're really obviously being, I, yeah, I'm a rebel against God if, if he exists. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm not a rebel against God. I'm not shaking my fist at him. But you know, we don't have to be kind of waving a placard to be a rebel. Picture this scene. Imagine yourself as a child and it's time for bed. And like most children, you don't want to go to bed. And so your mother or father comes in and says, right, it's time for bed. And what do you do? You just sit and ignore them. You're not shouting or screaming. You're not waving your arms around. You're just sitting there quietly and ignoring them. You're carrying on doing what you want to do. You're taking control. But in that moment, even though there's no screaming, no shouting, what are you doing? You're rebelling against the authority, aren't you? You're saying, I'm not going to do it. We can be the same with God. When we don't listen, we can just quietly go through our lives, just ignoring the one who is in control, ignoring the one who is God. And the Bible says that's what we are naturally. Another word for being a rebel against God is sin. We're, we're sinners. The Bible describes sin as in this way. It's putting ourselves in God's place. Putting ourselves in God's place. Now think of who Jesus is speaking to here. Here is Nicodemus. He is, how can he be a rebel? He is somebody who was really religious. He knew the Bible really well. He was very respectable. Uh, probably, as I said, very sincere. How can a religious person be a rebel against God? Because if he's a rebel, then any of us are. Well, do you know, we can use religion to put ourselves in God's place. What do I mean? Well, so often we think, if I can be good enough, if I can do enough good things, then God will give me what I want. If, I can, if I'm in the right places, so if I go to church, or if I read my Bible, if I say my prayers, if I give to charity, if I do all of that, like I, I kind of put the money in the machine, as it were, then God will give me what I want. And so we end up using what outwardly looks very respectable and religious. It looks like we're doing it for God, but actually we're just doing it for ourselves. And the way that's really shown is when things fall apart, when things don't go as we want. When, things, when we don't get what we want out of the machine, as it were, and we say, God, but I've done all of this for you. How, how dare you not give me this? What's happening? We use God... We use religious religiosity to keep ourselves in control of God. We're being rebellious. So rebellious could look like, I don't care what God wants, I'm going to go and do my own thing. Rebellious could be sitting quietly doing our own thing without listening to him, or it could be trying to be very religious and going against him. See, naturally, we are rebels. So who is your king? 
Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we hope, isn't it? But naturally, that's not who we want it to be. We want it to be us. We want to be in control. And Jesus, by saying this, by saying verse 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's putting every single human being in the same boat. We're all equal. Naturally, we don't want anything to do with him. So who is your king? That's the first question. So the second question now is, that exposes why we can't naturally be part of God's kingdom, is where is your help? So verse 6, Jesus goes on to say, um, uh, he says in verse 5, sorry, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's saying, look, this is how we're born. We're born in this rebellious kind of state against God. We can't make ourselves good enough for God's kingdom. We can't do it on our own. And we might think, well, that's really defeatist. You know, at the start of the year, we want to be told, you can do it. You know, this is it. This is your year. But the reality is, this, isn't it? We can't do it. If we could do it, we wouldn't need New Year's resolutions. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't get fed up with ourselves with saying that thing again or doing that thing again. If we could do it on our own, the world wouldn't be a mess. We'd have it all sorted. But every year, every four years, when or five years when the election comes, we, we realize, oh, what a mess we've made again. There's finger pointing. And there's saying, look, we could have done it better. But four or five years ago, they didn't do it better. And so we just seem to be in this perpetual mess. And personally, it happens, isn't it? We've done it again. I've said it again. I said I wouldn't, but I have. Here it is. We struggle. We can't keep our own standards. And the Bible makes sense of it because it says, naturally, we try and find our help in ourselves. It's interesting that this time of year it makes it so much clearer. Um, I know there's gyms around. They, don't, they hire extra equipment to come in just for the first few weeks of January because they know that by February, they won't need those machines because it's packed out in January because everybody's like, this is it. But they know by February they won't need those. So they don't invest in them. They just hire them in and then ship them out uh, when um, the people who try their best for January then don't quite keep it up. We just can't do it, can we? We're, we're, we are helpless. It doesn't mean we don't have resolutions. It doesn't mean we don't try. Of course, we want to be better. We want to, there's things that we can improve in our life. But there's something in this that we just can't seem to keep even our own standards. And the problem is, the Bible says, is our heart. Listen to it in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We've got this fleshly heart that only wants to serve and want what we want rather than what God wants. So the problem is deep down. Imagine if um, you had an orchard and it grew apples in the orchard, but one year you thought, you know, I've had enough of apple crumble. I don't know what else can you make with apples. I've had enough of the cider that we make every year. This year, we're going to have lemons. Okay, so what you do is you cut the trees right back, you change your fertilizer, you put water in, you prune it, you know, you've pruned it all back, and you think this year we're having lemons. What comes out at harvest time? Apples. <laughs> because you've still got an apple tree. You know, with our heart, the Bible says, however much we try and reform our own heart, we can't because naturally we just have that, um, that balance away from God, that leaning like a bowling ball has this um, bias away from God. That's what it's like with us. And so we're all rebels. And if we look to ourselves, we're all trapped. We can't help ourselves. We're all born into this state. Now think this through. Where's the hope here? It's as if the only hope is 
if we could start all over again. The only hope is if somehow we could be born with a heart that actually wants to love and serve God rather than serve ourselves. If we could have a, a new spirit that could actually want to serve others rather than serving ourselves. What we need is a miracle. What we need is something that we are not capable of on our own. Verse 6 says, remember, we're born helpless, we're trapped, because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of the spirit is spirit. But look at what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, verse 3, he can't see the kingdom of God. So what's the answer? We need to be, this phrase, born again. I don't know what you think of when you hear that phrase. Maybe nothing, maybe it doesn't have any connotations. Maybe you, you kind of hear it and you think of, crazy Americans sometimes. You know, we think of this born again. But the reality is Jesus used that phrase. And this is what he's saying about it. He's saying to be part of God's kingdom, you need to be born again. As he goes on, he says um, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but it does not go where it, uh, does not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And he says in um, in verse 7, do not marvel that you must be born again. Don't be surprised by this, Nicodemus. You need some help outside of yourself. As he goes on to say about being washed and cleaned, we need this forgiveness for being rebels against God. Now, Nicodemus hears the phrase born again, and he hasn't got any other connotations with Americans or anything like that, but he just says, what? How can I be born again? I'm a grown man. You know, you don't need much about biology to think I'm not going to fit back inside my mother's womb. It's not going to happen. How can I be born again? And Jesus says, no, um, you need this. Verse 5, look what he says. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He says, look, you need to have this washing, this cleansing. You need this fresh start that only God can give. And the, the, um, the picture, the analogy of being born, rebirth, is actually really helpful. This shows us where our hope is. Now, this morning, if I asked you, what did you have to do with being born? What would your answer be? Did you plan it? Did you say, that is going to be my birthday? That is when I'm going to pop out? Yeah? Well, we didn't, did we? You didn't have to work to get it done. You didn't have to plan it. It was all done from outside of you. You didn't contribute any single thing to being born. You didn't have to put in any effort or work. It was all done um, aside from you. And in the same way, if we want to be accepted by God, want to be part of his kingdom, it's not about our efforts or our works. It's a gift. And God says, and I can do it for you. I can cause you to be born again with this new heart, wanted to serve him and honor him and not be a rebel against him, washed clean and forgiven. Here Jesus is saying, we're all in the same boat. We all need this forgiveness, this cleansing by water, as it were. We need new life. Remember how God's kingdom was described? It was a place of no tears and no pain. You know, the reality is if we were put in that place now, we cause tears, don't we? We cause pain. So we need supernatural help to not ruin it all again. So Jesus is saying to be accepted by God, you need to accept something that is outside of you, that you have no part to play in. He can do it all for you. And you can have this surgery, as it were, of this new heart and born again. 
in verse 8, he describes what it's like. He says it's like wind. You know, you, you see the effects of wind, but um, you can't necessarily um, see the wind. Yeah, you can't see the wind. You can see the effect of it. We've seen that in the storms, haven't we, over the last few days on the, on the news. You see what, what a wind can do, but you don't see the wind itself. If I said, oh, it's really windy in here today, you say, no, it isn't. You say, well, unless you can see the effects, people's hair blowing or coats blowing about, you say, no, it's not. We know the effects of wind. And the same way, when someone is born again, how do you know? You see the effects. Their lives are different. Their lives are changed. Maybe you can think of people whose lives are different. You know, we're going to hear this afternoon about David and how God has worked in his life. You know, I know I can think of people who didn't realize how how self-sufficient they were, how arrogant they were. And then God helped them to see that they were totally relying on themselves. And God changed their heart. I can think of people who had no desire to follow God as their king, wanted to go on all their own way, but now there's nothing they want more than to serve him and honour him. And think of people who have had the strength to say no to things in their lives that they never thought they had the power to say no to, because God has caused them to be born again. See, for us to be part of God's kingdom, for us to be accepted by God, we need to ask these two questions. Who is your king? Can you see we're naturally rebels? Then we ask the question, well, where is your help? We can't do it on our own. So the last question, we'll finish with this, is this. Well, how do we change then? Where is the hope here? Well, as we look at verses 14 uh, and six, down to 16, we see that. I'll read them to you. It says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus to say, look, so how do we, where do we turn then? We can't turn to ourselves because we can't do it. We're born of the flesh and that's flesh. We need this miracle to happen. Where do we turn? Well, Jesus takes us to a story in the Old Testament and the Israelites. They were grumbling against God and to God to show them their problem um, of them rebelling against him, he sends snakes into the camp. And these snakes bit the Israelites, but there was a way for them to be healed. God said to Moses, put a bronze snake on a stick and lift it up. And everybody who looks to the bronze snake, they'll be kind of um, healed from the poison. So they get bitten and infected with this poison. And then they get they are to look up on the one that God has provided for them to be healed and, uh, and cleansed from their problem. And in the same way, Jesus says... That's why I've come. We've been infected, as it were, with sin. And that's what the mess that we see in our lives and all around us in the world today. And we are helpless. And we need a miracle. That's right. And so verse 14 says, as the Son of Man is lifted up. As the Son of Man is lifted up, so you are to look at him. Where was Jesus lifted up? Well, he was lifted up on the cross. And as he's lifted there, we see what is happening to him. On the cross, Jesus was being treated as a rebel against the King of Kings. He was being treated as a rebel and being punished as a rebel. He was taking our place. He was saying, look, I will be treated as a rebel so you could be welcomed as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. So you could be part of God's kingdom. Jesus made himself helpless so that we then could have the help that we need have this fresh start. The people bitten by the snake in the wilderness couldn't do a thing. 
they were totally helpless. There was no um, medicine to take to cure them. The only thing they could do was look, just lift their eyes up. Say, Jesus, uh, and God says, let's look at the bronze snake. And the same way, when we realize I've been infected with sin, with rebellion in my heart, and I know it's there, today God is saying, just look to Jesus. He's done it all. He's done it for you. Look to him. And in that moment, God says, as we trust in him instead of ourselves, we can be born again. And we'll start to see, actually, I don't want to just do what I want to do now. I want to do what God wants. I don't want to do what, what, what is best for me. I want to do what's best for others and what, what God wants for me. And so we start to serve and honor and live for him. So often people think that being a Christian is trying harder and kind of reforming yourself. But the reality is none of us can do it. We are rebels. We can't do it on our own. The only thing we can do is look to Jesus. So a Christian is somebody who said, God, I've rebelled. God, I have turned, um, I've gone my own way and I am helpless. And now I'm looking to Jesus for help. Maybe over the last year, over the last few years, God has brought you to the point where you realize, I can't do this. I just can't. And this morning he is saying, stop trying and look to the one who's lifted up. Look to Jesus. That's why he's come. It means that whoever we are, whether we think we're educated or we're not educated at all, whatever our background, whether it's respectable or not respectable, that's all we have to do is look to Jesus, to trust in him and say, Jesus, I need you. So today, come to him and say, will you forgive me? Will you accept me? I'll be part of the kingdom of God. And that's what it means to be born again afresh. And if that has happened to you, please share that with someone. If you've never before, say, I think that's happened to me. Because now I want to know what God wants rather than what I want. That is a miracle. That is something really deep and wonderful that's happened in your life. And this morning, if you're a Christian and you've trusted in him and you've, you've looked to Jesus, can you see what this is telling us? How do we carry on this year? Keep looking to Jesus. Look to the one who's lifted up. Look to the one who died for rebels like us. Look to the one who says, I will forgive you all the wrong you've done. And we're safe in him. The problem is so often we start to look at ourselves rather than looking to him. And so together as a church, let's start the year by looking to Jesus and keep looking to him. Encourage each other to look to him rather than ourselves. And when he is in the right place, when he is the right size, which is huge and massive, it's then that other things in our life fall into place. Let's keep looking to him and let's trust in him for this year ahead. Let's pray before we sing our final hymn together. Father in heaven, we know that naturally we are rebels. Father, we know that naturally we want to go our own way and we feel the pull so often that we might have slipped back into that way of thinking. But we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you came to this world to offer us and to save us and to rescue us. We thank you that you today say that you, we can be born again, have a fresh start, and be part of your kingdom. We pray, please, that we wouldn't look to ourselves for our help, but we would look to you, the one who has done it all for us. And this year, Lord, as if we're trusting in you, that we would keep on looking to Jesus, keep following, keep trusting. And as we do that, Lord, to be amazed at what he's done for us. We pray, Lord, that many, many people this year would come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus. And even this morning, that someone here for the first time would say, I'm trusting 
in him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.